Mine says it too, but can you really trust technology? I don't. Mm. That's that's why I write tests. Do you trust the test though? No, that's why we have QA. Ah, do you trust your QA? No. That's why we have users. (laughs) Do you trust your users? Absolutely not. This just, this just feels like falling dominoes, man. I, I, I don't know where, where this stops. There is no bottom. That's the problem. Uh, trust no one. NWCalvin.dev. <laughs> 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 trust no one. Tell your friends. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Do Better Dev Show. Um, I am here with your favorite co-host, Nathan Calvin. Hello. Uh, hello. And yeah, today today we're gonna talk about our favorite things, things that make you trust technology because according to Nathan, nothing can be trusted. And the things that make you trust your job is a whole bunch of tools and workflows and habits. And we're gonna be diving deep into that. You know, I am impressed with that transition, Gian, because I didn't see how those two things are gonna be related in any way. But you you done did it, and that's that's why you're that's why you're the intro guy. Exactly. I if I if I didn't love coding, I might even be in sales. Also, if I liked talking to people, I might be in sales. But you can only control so much. Yeah, if you wanted to like. be in sales, maybe you'd be in sales. Whoa! Did not see that coming, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> that's what, I, what we're going to be talking about today. hope some of you get some insights on maybe new tools or workflows that you change. Um, and if you think any of that is crap, hit us up and tell us how we can make our workflows do better. Yeah, I, I used Twitter for the first time in three years yesterday. Whoa. Yeah, I found a, or I came across a very obscure 1995 Levi's ad. And it was so bizarre that I had to send it to one of my friends from university. And the last time I reached out to him was on Twitter. And I went, you know what? That's where I know to reach out to him, so I'll just do it. And yeah, the last tweet was like 2017, so it'd been a few years. And uh, I've now used it, so hypothetically, if someone else reaches out to me, it hasn't been years since I used Twitter, so I might see it. Wow, Mm -hmm. so yeah. Um, Twitter.com slash NWCalvank. Tell your friends. Yeah. TM. Yeah. <laughs> go, go hit him up. Uh, if you don't hit him up, go look at his old tweets. They're gold. They're absolute freaking gold. Oh, God. No, don't say that. Uh, I'm going to have to go clean up my old Twitter now. No, 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 you can't. No. That, that stuff is what made me like you more as a coworker and a friend. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, especially the... 3 a.m. Oats in uni tests. That's just like, I'm like, this is... That's my most recent tweet from 2017. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first thing I saw. So that makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah. But... uh, Or the things he retweets. I don't know. Just just go look at it. Yeah, I realize I need to be a bit more involved in my social media as if I'm going to keep sending people to them. So, because right now I kind of just avoid all of it. Like, turn off notifications for comments and pretty much everything. Um, but if we're going to send people there and keep recommending they tell their friends, I need to actually pay attention uh, in case messages come in and I'm not that guy that's ignoring everybody. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You want to you wanna make sure your online presence is maintained. Mm-hmm. 
But especially if they're telling their friends. Especially, yeah, because then they look like they're not trustworthy because they sent their friends to a guy that's just ignoring them. It's not good. It's sadness all around, really. Then we're going to have to do an episode on how to use social media better. And an apology episode. That's important. And, oh. oh, man. that's Yeah, that'll be on YouTube. Yeah. you got to bring out some tears. Yeah, I'll sit really far back and just talk about how I'm human. Made mistakes. Mm. Apologize to everybody who I've offended. By not responding to them. Mm -hmm. All the all the three messages, which I'm overshooting, we'll, yeah. we'll have in our channel. Yeah, it'll be... If we round up to three, it'll be there. That's three more than what I was expecting. So. Right on. Yeah, 300% growth. That'll be, that'll be crazy to watch. Yeah. So, again. Yeah. Right. Coming it's, back onto the topic. It's been, I know it's been the longest week ever uh, since we last recorded, but we're supposed to mention something frustrating, interesting, or great mm. from the past week if you have anything to share. So do you have anything to share with myself and any listener that may show up? Hmm. Well, something I did find, which I actually just found today that I, I told you about is the, there's this classical music um, that I've already forgotten the name of, which I'll probably put in the show notes, um, is this, this, this really nice classical score and it's helping me focus again. Usually I listen to instrumental or binaural re beats or whatever when I'm working, but this, this has some like aggressive violin in there and I'm just really feeling mm. it. So that's a great thing I found that I'm really loving. And I switched over to YouTube music and that's been great. It's, it has so much data on me that it gives me so accurate recommendations of what I may like that I hate it and I love listening to it. So I hate the fact that it knows me so well where it's like, hey, you listened to this seven years ago. Right now you seem like you're doing a certain activity. You may still like it. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Um, but yeah, that's been, that's been really nice. No offense to Spotify. Spotify was great. I just got a better financial deal on YouTube. And, and that, that just worked out better for me with the friends and now I have a whole new playlist and a whole new algorithm that targets what I like and not like. And yeah, that's been the two really good things that happened this week or in the last two weeks. Hmm. And I would, I would dive into giving you a hard time about this whole not liking it because it's too good thing, but we already had this discussion. I still don't understand. So I, I won't dive into that, that too much. Um, this is going to be hopefully the last in a trend of the things I keep saying are great uh, because you'll know as soon as I mention it what, what I'm talking about. But we recently upgraded to React 17. So we went from React whatever, 14 or something, some older version, to 16. And that gave us hooks. And I got real excited about that. Uh, and now we upgrade to 17, which alongside that was the upgrade for React Redux. And now that means we don't have to use connect. We can use hooks for like select or um, use selector and use dispatch or whatever the other uh, Redux related hooks are that we would need. And it is so nice because now we can just write a little bit of custom logic for our own custom hooks. So like we have this little um, 
like flash indicator that pops up in the corner when something happens like successfully saved or an error occurred. And every component that needed that, we had to pass through connect into the props, map dispatch to props, pass a gang as a prop and then consume it. But now we can just use the uh, use dispatch hook, wrap that around a use flash hook. And now the components don't need to know anything about it because the hook takes care of it. So we can just say use flash, give us our flash, pass in the message and it's taken care of. So really excited about that. And I don't think I had anything else. I made two notes. Yeah, it was just React 17 and the latest React Redux. So uh, that's what I'm excited about. But I guess something that sort of just showed up uh, somewhat unexpectedly was I remembered that my company was gonna let me borrow stuff from the office because we're not in the office. So I borrowed a standing desk, which I am now at and a chair and I could have probably grabbed other stuff. Like I saw they had some uh, wireless charging ports and stuff or uh, pads and stuff there, but I was already overwhelmed with trying to get this desk home. So I skipped out on some of that other stuff, but it is really nice having a proper working setup, even if it's nine months late. It's never too late. That's right. That's what I'd say. Well, yeah. we're, we're not even sure if we're going to end up back in the office because a lot of us don't need an office for what we do. And we've gotten used to our workflows at this point. So may as well just uh, keep on keeping on. And then just like salespeople or whomever uh, likes to be around other people can go into the office if they need to. Or if we need to do some sort of collaboration, we can meet up there. Mm. So having it more like a meeting place as opposed to a place where we all go to work. So it might pay off to have this here. I'm hoping that I can at least enjoy it for a few months before they ask for it back because it was a pain to get home. That makes sense. I'm also assuming the office is just like purge. Everybody was just running around, taking things, throwing them in a car. Yeah, if you've ever watched um, like Black Friday videos or, um, okay. you know, the zombies from... Uh, 28 days later it was similar to those okay. which are similar to each other unfortunately mm. okay no that makes sense that so you should have just grabbed everything like i don't know was there a safe with the combination on it no um, i i wanted to borrow the uh the switch the nintendo switch but there was an empty case for super smash bros and i checked the other case, which was for Mario Kart, it was also empty, and Mario Kart was in the Switch, but there was no sign of Smash Bros. So someone or had already made off with Smash Bros. So at that point, the Switch was of no value to me. Well, we have a mutual friend who is a huge gamer. You could have just gotten desk games from him. It's true. He has everything. He, he does. <laughs> so go back to the office, rob them again. I mean, b borrow them. Right. And yeah, go go home and play some Switch. It's not a bad idea. But that's awesome. A stand-up desk. I, I made that Switch a couple of years ago, and that has just been one of the biggest blessings to make my workflow work, work, work better. My work work for me. Yeah, actually, though, because all my full-time jobs have had stand-up desks. So this wasn't something I had on my list of like workflow things, but it kind of is. Uh, where throughout the day, I got in the habit of just every hour or so, assuming I'm not working on something I really have to think too hard about, 
I'll just alternate standing and sitting and it feels so much better. Like the body feels better. Clarity is a bit better. It kind of feels like going for a walk, but you don't have to actually take that time away to go for a walk just by alternating standing and sitting. So what I mean by that is after going for a walk, oftentimes I feel refreshed, but sometimes just going from sitting to standing, if it's 10 AM and it's not time for an actual break yet, uh, that will give me that sort of refreshed feeling that I would get from stepping away from my desk for a bit. So uh, definitely approve of anybody who will push their employer to get them standing desks uh, like I may or may not have. That sounds great. I mean, if you want to walk, just get a treadmill desk. Move up. I'm, keep, keep I'm not convinced that I could do that. <laughs> uh, plus, yeah, living yeah, where yeah. I live, it's really easy to walk anytime I want. So I can just go outside. That's true. But outside is scary. There's people out there, yeah. Yeah, Outernet is just not it's not as fun. The graphics are better, but that's The it. gameplay is terrible. Oof. The leveling up system, man, so, so much It's grinding. so slow. It's so slow. <laughs> it's real time, though, which is all right. The technology there That's true. is pretty good. Convincing. Yeah. There's no lag. It's... Yeah, but I don't know. I, although, while you mention it and while the episode is about workflows and such, one of the things I read about that I do try to do here and there, uh, I, I used to have a sticky that has fallen off my monitor now, so I don't look at it all the time. Okay. Uh, but I used to follow the 20-20-20 rule where you, every 20-ish minutes, you look at something that's 20 feet away for 20 seconds. I didn't follow it to the dot, but mm -hmm. it was nice every few minutes, unless I'm really focused, to move away from the screen. And then while I did that, every couple of breaks, I would just stand up and like stretch. Um, and that helped get the juices flowing a little bit more than just standing at my desk all day because... I don't have a fancy adjustable desk like you. I have a $30 desk that gets fixed into a position mm -hmm. and you do not move it. Uh, so I switch between my stand-up desk and my kitchen dining table for sitting and standing. Uh, and it works well for me until the time when I have to do like stretching and stuff and keep those things in mind. Also, I lose external monitor when I move off to sitting, uh, which is just such a shame. Um, but yeah, 2020 great rule. Uh, if you're starting off and you don't do a lot of focus stuff, um, it might be overkill if you're eight-hour job. You're every hour you're looking away for three like three times, uh, which doesn't sound that like every hour three minute like thirty seconds for yourself is not bad. Do uh, make sure your eyes don't go crazy. Three minutes, sorry, not thirty seconds. No, twenty seconds. A minute. Wow, I cannot do math. Uh, 20, 20, yeah, 60 seconds every hour is good for you and do that. Yeah, I was waiting for you to finish and then I was just going to be like, all right, all those numbers you said are wrong, but I get the idea. Yeah, my brain kept pointing at me, it kept being like, that's, something's not right, something's not right. And finally the asynchronous thread finished and came up to me and said, like, hey, there's the answer. You're right. Yeah, the, the spin beach, spinning beach ball. Just, just <laughs> yeah, it happens to the best of us. But, so besides the stand desk, what else have you have you done to improve your workflow? Well, since you're kicking it back to me, may as well start with the most important thing that I know you agree with. Uh, Vim is excellent and uh, highly recommend it. No, in all seriousness, though, I do think that working with Vim commands in whatever editor I am requested to work with, 
uh, is a big improvement to my general comfort in an editor. I really dislike moving between the keyboard and the mouse. And if I'm working with a, a, a laptop that isn't a MacBook and I'm having to use the trackpad, I often have a lot of problems with that as far as trying to highlight certain lines and um, copying them, especially because I my personal computer is a MacBook. Something I get used to, for example, double clicking in a certain spot to copy on my work and then I try to click in the corner on my Mac and then it doesn't work and then I forget and there's that transitionary period that it doesn't take long but it's just annoying uh, to deal with each time. So being able to do pretty much everything from just the keyboard is really nice. Uh, and yeah, they're, when I'm actually working with just Vim, so right now we all use PyCharm, which at this point, pretty much everything's been moved out of PyCharm. I don't really need to use it anymore. Uh, but when I started about a year ago, everything was set up to run all of our tests and our Docker containers and everything triggered through PyCharm. But we've simplified a lot of our workflows. So now it's pretty easy to kick everything off directly from the terminal. And I now know how these things work. So if they don't work, I don't have to just ask why my PyCharm isn't set up properly. I can just look at the make files and go, oh, I see this is what's wrong. Uh, so running everything from the terminal is really nice. And that means that I can essentially just live in the terminal, which is really good for switching between different running um, containers and also having access to an editor. So the fact that Vim lives in the terminal, I can, you know, shell into a running container. I can shell into our different environments, all of it with one application essentially being the terminal and not having to switch a lot between mouse and keyboard. It just feels really comfortable. It's a workflow that I really like and I know that you don't. I don't necessarily hate it. Uh, I do like to give you crap about it because it's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> but but like Vim is an essential tool. As a DevOps person who interacts with Linux constantly, if Vim didn't exist, I don't know what I would do with my life. Uh, if I didn't know how to use it properly or fix things, because I do have to select things, copy paste things. It's not just edit and delete uh, at all times. And for that things, yeah, Vim has been extremely good. In college, I was a huge, huge follower of Nano. I would fight with anybody who used Vim or Emacs. And I'm sure I'll get a lot of like messages being like, oh my God, Emacs is so much better. You're missing out or you're crap for using Nano or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, you chose, uh, like, you chose like the one that's wrong. It's Vim versus no, Emacs. See, I'm already getting hate. Yeah, for it's this. Vim versus Emacs. There's not even a there's not even a question about Nano. Nano is so beginner friendly. It gives you all the shortcuts on the bottom, so you always have a reference. Mm -hmm. It opens in a nice little text box thing, and the arrows work perfectly. If you wanna like go between things, as opposed to Vim, where you have to be between edit mode or not for things to like go sideways or whatever, mm -hmm. and. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was convenient. It was right there. And as a university student who had to remember a ton of things, yeah. I was glad I didn't have to remember keyboard shortcuts. Even though I was a CS grad, I should have remembered keyboard shortcuts, but whatever. Uh, so Nano was great for that, but Vim is the default. Vim is everywhere. And 
as much as I do use it for all my DevOps and such, um, I do not recommend it as a workstation thing. Yeah, so for context, for anybody who might not be very familiar with Vim, essentially if you go into pretty much any environment and punch in VI, it'll open up an editor and that editor is Vim, VI improved, and it gives you a lot of the same things you could get in another text editor. You just need to know how to do them. And the knowing how to do them can often be a pain for a lot of people. Uh, that said, there was a very satisfying moment when Gian and I were working together where he shelled into something and I got to coach him through how to use all the Vim commands to edit the file. Uh, so I felt liberated at that point. But mm. the workflow that I've used when I'm actually using just Vim is uh, I recently switched to NeoVim, so within the last year or two. And that's essentially just Vim, but it's a fork of it that actually gets updated because I guess Vim takes a really long time. And the only reason I switched to it was because there was some plugin I wanted to use that uh, only was supported by NeoVim. So the way that you get an editor like Vim set up is you have a VimRC file, which is a dot file, and or if you're using NeoVim, an init file. And those are run when you first start up Vim and it configures everything for your editor preferences. So something you might see commonly is something like NerdTree, which is a plugin that gives you a um, directory structure for all your files. And then you can switch through them just like you could in any other editor. So once you've added a bunch of stuff, you can get things like autocomplete and um, jump to definition and pretty much anything you want in another editor, but you have to configure everything. So if you're doing it locally, uh, if you're someone who likes to tinker with an editor, it can be a lot of fun. I've definitely spent hours configuring, configuring my Vim to do what I want it to do. Uh, but if you want something that's more of a get up and go, VS Code or something like that, that's already an integrated developer environment is great. And I would though suggest go to the settings, toggle on Vim commands, and just use Vim mode in VS Code because that's what I do with PyCharm. And as I mentioned, I just find it far more ergonomic. And there's, it's slow at first, but honestly within a couple weeks, if, if, even if you're using HJKL, it'll be pretty easy to get comfortable with it, I think. Yeah, and then the moment you achieve that efficiency, you get kidnapped in your sleep, taken to a secret society of Vim users. That's right. I mean, and no, yeah, no, you, we don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no initiation <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> yeah, they, they put a chip in your arm so that every time you move towards the mouse, they know. So you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose like vegan powers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the, the Vimpolis yeah. do show up. The Vim on October 26th, you used a mouse to copy-paste text. Copy-pasting is in <laughs> uh, Exactly. Yeah. For anybody thinking we're weird, it's just Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, great movie. Go tell your friends and watch it yourself. It's a great movie. If you don't know of it, then you should watch it. Yeah. Then you can say, I know of it. And somebody says, have you seen it? Um, anyways, yeah. So VS Code, I that, that is my go-to. I very much recommend it. I'm more of a GUI person, and 
I am pretty familiar with my arrow keys and using that which in addition to shift. So for selection and multi-cursor and everything, I don't ever touch the mouse. So I, that's my workflow where I've gotten used to using the keyboard fully without, but while looking at an editor that looks pretty and it's not just text. Although I really liked when you had the transparent whim and you could see things in the background while you were doing your coding and such. Yeah, that's a pro tip actually, now that you mention it. If you're working in a terminal editor and you are working at least on a Mac, you can set your, no, I have it on my Linux too, yeah. You can set your uh, transparency to something that's not fully opaque. And then if you have docs or something behind it, then it's really convenient sometimes if you're trying to, instead of switching between something on one screen, you can just write the code, look at the examples in the docs at the same time. Or if you're working with something like Jira, this is my main use for it, is if I have to create a new Git branch, <laughs> uh, I can just look at the ticket number because we put our ticket numbers in the branch names and I can just read the ticket number through my editor and uh, it's convenient. So I'd, I'd recommend giving it a shot, but back to you. Makes sense, yeah. And then the other one I was gonna mention is Notepad++. For taking quick scratches, quick notes for anything, it's been a lifesaver for me. It loads up much faster. It's less heavier than VS Code and depending on how many plugins you install, VS Code can get laggy. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Notepad++ launches immediately. It's just better Notepad. It's like if Notepad was told to do better, Notepad++ would appear. Uh, and I love it. It's it's great. I, and the great thing about Notepad++ is you don't actually have to save any of the files. It keeps everything in temp, temporary directory of its sorts. So if you accidentally close it or restart your computer, all your scratch pads are still there. Whoa, and it's like that's them. what I really love about it. <laughs> well, you know what? You can find the swap files for Vim pretty easily in the terminal. Yes. And that bothers me when I'm doing my tab autocomplete. But you know what I don't have to do with Notepad++? Worry about that. Yeah, yeah. So this is, I'm going to make that graphic of like friendship with Nathan End. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Mm. Uh, but I should be clear too, because I mentioned PyCharm a couple times. I was not advocating for it. I actively dislike it. It's really slow and they frequently push out updates that just break stuff. So I know that it's very popular, but unless you have a workflow built around it, I, at least as someone who's used it for about a year now, I'm not sold on it. So uh, I wouldn't say go out and like get a, like pay for their license to use it or anything. Yes, uh, I do partially agree there where I do think the community license is everything you need. The professional license is not really worth it. Uh, but I really liked PyCharm for all my Python coding because it gives you, you can control click through libraries and get through the source code. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of times in Python where I was like, I don't understand why is this failing internally. I gotta go look at the code and figure out what it's doing. And that was extremely helpful. No other editor has given me a control click capability for Python libraries. That's fair, yeah, um, that is really useful. Yeah, yeah, besides that, no, it's, extremely complicated to uh, set it up. If you're using Docker as your dev environment, God bless you, you will not like PyCharm. Uh, and just setting up the binary, because it'll create its own local cache of all your pip installs. So you have to make sure it's in touch with requirements and everything. And once you do have it set up on a mature project, 
it's pretty neat. It's pretty decent. It helps you give a lot of things. Pretty neat. Uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, but yeah, besides that, PyCharm is extremely bloated and I don't know if, yeah, I only really ever use it when I need to know what imports that I'm not using are there. I mean, you can do that with PyLint, but it's nice that it's all just built into my editor and I don't have to look anywhere else and I can control click through things. But besides that, I cannot remember using it for anything that I liked using it for. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Should I say something else or do you have the next thing on your list? No, that, that, are, that are all my editors. Oh, I don't have any more editors. I was changing to something else. Yeah, that, let's do that. All right. Thing, so yeah. the next thing on my list is from, I can't say anything good about this either, which is Jira. Uh, it's the most popular tool that like I don't understand why it's so popular because it's just so slow and terrible. It's like, it's like Trello with a bit more features and a custom SQL language that is so painfully slow. But point is, it's part of our workflow. I've not been in a company yet that doesn't use Jira. And you should at least know your way around it, which is difficult because if I were to describe the UI to you, by the time this is being listened to, uh, it's probably changed. And you won't have any point of reference for what the old one was because they'll just get rid of it. So it's, uh, it's a big old mess, but point is it's often used for agile based uh, software development. So you throw all of your sprint work into this big backlog with all your tickets mm -hmm. and those describe small tasks that need to get done. And then they get loaded into a sprint and you can look at you know, reports on how your sprint progressed as far as work that got done, amount you loaded versus the amount that uh, actually got completed, averages across sprints, these sorts of things. So it's a lot of mega stuff around your sprints that as a developer, you likely won't care about and likely why as a developer, I dislike Jira so much. Uh, and yeah, you should find your way around it, find your, understand how you can get, or if you're like me, just bookmark your favorite Confluence doc and uh, never figure out how to get to and from the Jira and Confluence because I've actually never found my way back to Jira from Confluence, but I've accidentally ended up in Confluence from Jira. So uh, apparently you can go back and I'm not sure how, uh, but you should know your way around those tools because they're really popular. And if you don't, you can probably mess stuff up. I try to just not touch Jira because it, it does have a, the ability to really confuse me. And I'd rather not mess up existing tickets or move things in and out of sprints by accident or anything, but it's a common tool. That's all I have to say. Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like Jira is to project manager what Jenkins is to DevOps automation. Everybody agrees that it's slow. Most people hate it, but everyone's so used to it and there's nothing really to replace it, replace everything that it provides you. And so it's like everybody just keeps using it. I did use Asana on some personal projects uh, with one or two of my college mates and I was ambitious and working on side projects and thought that we could build something. Um, then Asana was mm -hmm. great, but Jira lets you self-host, which is a pretty big deal for like a lot of companies. EA hosts their own Jira servers. 
So really nothing gets updated until they feel like they have to update it. So much better than in that scenario than Jira Cloud, where every day there's not a new feature. We have to figure out how it's working, <laughs> um, which I was I that was a big pain point for me at my previous company, too. Um, but yeah, as, as a somehow pseudo project manager work that I've done, uh, Jira was it, it, its API is also very broken, but at least it gives you an API to uh, to interact with and there's a lot of customization it offers almost too much that's my and that's my main problem i think it's like yeah. you end up with all these customized workflows and you're like why can't i move this ticket from this swim lane to this swim lane oh because your workflow didn't account for this action it's like well why do we have those why do i need to have like validation around where tickets can move it seems so unnecessary uh, and I think people who know about Jira sometimes get a bit too into it. And then those of us who don't know about Jira just get confused and stuck and frustrated. So. Yeah. I have this habit of sometimes if there's smaller little tasks that I know need to be done, I'll, I'll just go and get, get them done. Cause as a developer, I want those efficiency and done. Mm -hmm. And then I go into Jira and find out somebody did create a ticket for it or my project manager would be like, Oh, we created this task for it. And I can't just turn it from to do to done. I have yes. to go through the swim lanes yeah. and it just, at that point, I'm like, can I just delete the ticket? And they're like, but <laughs> there's no record of that. You did it then. It's like, ah, okay. So I have to like move it around, add comments and then slowly get it to all the way to done. And yeah, those kind of things can, can get on your nerves, uh, but everybody uses it. So use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's unlike, you know, when there was the old joke of, putting Microsoft Office, comp, you know, competent with Microsoft Office on your resume as just like, nobody cares about that. There is actually something to, has some familiarity with Jira. Because if you join a team and you have some familiarity with Jira, that's kind of nice, especially if they are expecting that role to involve that software, because there is a learning curve, because it's so bloated and confusing at times. So uh, if you're looking to do something like project management, I think it's worth it to get familiar with how it works and those sorts of things before you try to spend too much uh, time configuring or working around configuration in your active, like your current employer's Jira setup. Cause there's just, there's a lot of parts, a lot of moving parts there. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when you start learning Jira, it's helpful if you're also learning like different terms and how agile works not even really agile, just different ways of doing things because you'll stumble upon it and Lord help you if your project has two boards, one for Sprint and one for Kanban, depending on what <laughs> they're doing. And you're just there lost sitting. I don't understand which board is supposed to have what ticket and how I'm swimming between the lanes. Um, and just pray that you have a good project manager that knows what they're doing and can help you. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I know we, I, I also have had like a little label field in a lot of the tickets. I was working on a project and you had to label them properly. And then you later on find out that unless you type that weird JQL, there's no way to filter on those labels. And you're just sitting there thinking, now I need sort of a GUI to have filtering on, on these custom fields, just so I can access these subset of tickets. And it's just... Yeah, it gets it gets annoying. Yep. Uh, yeah, 
we'll move on. Move on to things that we also things like. Things that aren't We'll move on to some dev things. GitHub. GitHub. GitLab. Oh, don't say that. Um, but yeah, no. Git. Some form of Git is really important. Yes. Some sort of some sort of project control. I know at my job I use both Preforce and Git. Uh, and I definitely, definitely prefer Git. It's just so much, so much more intuitive. Maybe because I'm just used to it, but it it's like certain similar terms, but one uses like depots instead of repo, and other one is just the terminologies are different. To the command line isn't as intuitive or preferred, so everybody uses the GUI. And if you're a hardcore Git command line person you will look down upon anybody who uses GitHub desktop or any Git GUI tools. And that's how I felt going into Perforce. Mm -hmm. I had to use the GUI for things to make sense on how things were moving between X and Y and how commits happened and how everything happens on a central server. The concept of local is not very much real. Like it, it does, but it still takes up space and communicates with the central server of sorts. Um, yeah, so on that note, yeah, definitely some sort of version and source control is great, but unless you're hauling around gigabytes of assets, please just stick to Git. There's so much stuff. I, I work at a gaming company, so we have assets and repos that are like hundreds of gigabytes big, so Preforce made sense, but because everybody was using Preforce, a lot of things went into it that should have been in Git. Mm -hmm. And now just to finding the distinction between them or updating a singular file and you have to go through like seven different steps and getting reviews requires another software on top of Perforce and it's just, yeah. Yeah, I'm lucky that Git's the only one that I've used. And I've only, the most destructive Git things I've seen done were done via the GUI and just people who didn't really understand what they were doing because uh, it lets you do stuff that you probably shouldn't do. Um, and so, yeah, getting... Honestly, though, there's probably f four or five commands for Git that you really need to know to do 80 plus percent of your day-to-day -day work. And if you have a good flow built around... Or for your team, if your team has a good flow built around the uh, source control, you probably don't need to do a whole lot of you know, complicated rebasing and uh, you'll resolve the occasional merge conflict and, and that's really about it. So I would say that as long as you understand the fundamentals of like what is a you know primary branch versus a sub-branch off that primary branch and then what does it mean to merge that back in? What happens with the commits when you merge them back in? Understanding the difference between merge commits squash commits and rebasing and then merging in those are the vast majority of things you need to know and it took a list of what four or five things to, to get through all that and that's really about it it's nice to understand things like how different remotes work and if you get comfortable with diffing against different branches then you can avoid some i don't know accidental merge conflicts that you didn't anticipate. So things like if you are working off of a branch that departed from the master branch a long time ago, 
and they have a div, sometimes it's nice to just compare yours to whatever branch you're planning on merging into and be like, can I preemptively resolve some of these? Because what will happen sometimes is if you go to, especially if you do a rebase, it's going to roll through every commit and see like, is there a conflict in this commit? And then you're resolving the same issue on every single commit if you don't understand how to properly resolve the conflict uh, sort of at once. And so that can be a real pain if you're like, the imp I imported two files and it's looking at the line and it's saying, I don't know which one to use because I imported this one and this other branch imported this one. And so each commit, if you have 15 of them, you're gonna say, I already resolved this, I already resolved this. And you can avoid a lot of headache with Git just by understanding what those things mean, why it's asking you to do what it's asking you to do, and not finding out too much by just trial and error. Just like read the documentation and understand the concept, and that'll save you a lot of problems. And then when you go to try it, maybe create some backup branches before you try to do any aggressive merging or rebasing. And uh, you can pretty much always restore anything as long as you don't uh, aggressively destroy because that's what Git's for. It's for reverting back to previous states or keeping track of how things have changed. So um, I wouldn't, I'd say don't be too afraid to, to try to merge things if you're trying to update your branch or whatever. But if you're not comfortable with it yet, feel free to just create a copy of that branch. And then at least you always know that what you had before is still there. Yeah, yeah. Another like shout out for VS Code there. It, the Git plugin in it is excellent. If you run into merge conflicts, it has these little things where it highlights saying, this was your change, this is the incoming change, which one do you want to keep? Do you want to keep both? And you just click on buttons. You don't even have to like go in and edit, edit the code. It just really makes it makes the whole merge problems easy if you run into them quite a bit. Yeah, but but yeah, the I, I actually personally prefer a sort of a combination of Git and the GUI that GitHub provides for those things, uh, for any conflicts, for any diffs, for understanding, like for rebasing or merging all of your, squashing all your commits into one while sending it to the develop or release branches. Um, I find when I try to teach people about it or mentor somebody who's really new to Git, the tree structure can get confusing and squashing and rebasing just like sort of blows their mind on, oh my God, I don't fully understand what's happening. So in that case, the GitHub UI, UI makes it pretty neat, pretty easy where it's just like, okay, there's this button, it tells you what it's gonna do, it asks you for your commit messages and it takes care of the rest. You don't have to worry about it too much. Just make sure to update your branch properly and when you open a pull request, it'll tell you if you're doing something wrong, if there's conflicts or anything else. Uh, so that's where I, I really liked it. Uh, I'm, I haven't used GitHub Desktop since like the first proper public release Maybe they've made it a lot more better since GitHub itself keeps getting updated uh, quite well. Um, so maybe it's better now, but I I cannot I cannot recommend it unless I'm like a huge avid user, and at this moment I'm not. Mm -hmm. But Git plus GitHub, excellent. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know about you when I'm creating my commits. I'm one of those people who will actually put explanations underneath the subject line. Uh, and I know that I think I'm the only one at my company <laughs> that does that still. But 
I've done it everywhere I've worked. And I personally, at this point, know that I'm the only one that's gonna read them. So I'll write them with reminders of what I was considering at the time. So you'd be like, I thought about putting it in this place. Instead, I put it here, which is what you'll see in the commits. And I dig it for this reason. Or I'll put like my rolling to-do list sometimes in there. We're just like remaining to-dos. I have to do this, this, and this. Or if it's a work in progress commit and I just know I need to throw something into a commit so I don't lose all this work, I'll say like, you know, things that are currently broken, things that are currently in a good spot. And even if I'm just doing that locally, then I can, you know, squash those together before I push them up. And so the actual workflow I tend to use is if I'm working on a feature, I'll treat my staging, my staged files as kind of like a, a checkpoint of sorts where I'm like, all my tests are passing, I'll stage these files and then continue refactoring and things. And then before I actually commit, make sure that everything still passes, stage everything with all the changes in it, commit that. And if I'm switching between branches, I typically don't even use um, get stash unless I really have to because it tends to be kind of a pain. So ever since I learned about um, git resets dash dash soft head with a hat, uh, it just removes the previous commit and sets it like unstages everything. Uh, so I'll just have, if I'm switching between branches, I'll just throw up a, a work in progress commit and then I know I can come back later, remove that commit, it'll unstage everything, and I'm just back where I was at uh, before. Because um, I've had coworkers say like, oh, I get stashed it, but I gave them all the same name. And I'm like, why'd you give all your stashes the same name? That defeats the purpose. They're like, yeah, so I don't know which stash is the one I need now. Like, cool. <laughs> but that's, I guess that's where the GUI is pretty good because you can go look at the different stashes, but yeah, no, I, I very much, I'm, I'm, unless, definitely if I switch between branches or something, I'm more of a commit guy, and I've, I am a commit often and lots of commit person person, that's why I love uh, rebase and squash, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, when I first started like stacking things up or staging things, I just, I would either lose them or now I have too many stashes and I don't know which one's the right one and I have to go through git log and look at everything and keep popping them stashes till I know what's going on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Young and, and naive just, Gian, just popping them stashes. Uh, just left and right, stacking them up, popping them out. <laughs> just, <laughs> That's, that sounds uh, disturbing, actually. <laughs> you know what? Your imagination is on you. Do better, Nathan. Okay. Uh, I don't know. The I, I really loved it because it was the first time out of comp sci when I actually used the term pop on on some sort of stack. Besides using Java, I guess. Mm -hmm. But like in Python and stuff, when you use lists, there's no such thing. Like you don't really do pop or whatever from the list. You just delete the items or add the items. Or it, mostly, it's just dictionaries. Dictionaries all over the place. So it was really nice when Git, I was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm popping item off of a stack. Um, so I really loved that terminology. Mm. So I use it quite a bit. Clearly you haven't uh, written a lot of, uh, is this linked list a palindrome in Python? <laughs> I have That's not the main thing I think of one. for pop. 
<laughs> you just throw it all into it, the first half all into a stack. If it's odd, you know you don't need the middle one, or you need the middle one. If it's even, you don't. And just pop them off as you go. Uh, so next up, I have Slack. It's the best. I like using it. Uh, what about Rocket Chat? Don't say Rocket Chat. That would be nice if you just never mentioned that again. <laughs> if you could uh, never so, talk yeah. about it, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've mentioned it one too many times already. If uh, you could just not, that'd be great. Um, yeah, Slack. Slack works well. It's what I've used at every company. Except for that time that we had to use Rocket Chat, and it, uh, it gets the job done, and it has a really good history if you're paying for it, so you can search things really well, quick switch between things really easily. The uh, looks like they must have patched the Linux version because I was complaining about that recently about the quick switcher not working, and uh, this week so far it's been good. So uh, they must have fixed up something or. My computer's doing better than it was before. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, Slack, not much else to say about it other than I like it. Yeah, and the API and everything is really good. So creating little bots and searching through things is, is quite fun. Although when I used Teams, I also enjoyed it. It's not as open as Slack where you can't just make bots and everything because Microsoft. But... It's, I don't know, it had a little bit more playful theme to it. When you use Teams, it feels like it's corporate fun. Even though that's not the greatest term to use, I liked it as a chat thing for the brief amount of time I used it for. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm having uh, a hard time imagining definitely wouldn't replace corporate fun. Slack with it. Well, it's because it's... I picture it like a company picnic, which I hate. <laughs> Okay, no, uh, I'm going to use a different term then. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's like, a, I don't know. It's professional casual or it's, mm, it's whatever, khakis. man. It's okay. like, it, kind of, yeah. It's like, it's like if Comic Sense wasn't made fun of all the time. Like, Oh, I, you shouldn't be in I, sales. I think we've discussed this, uh, but let's move on. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell teams, okay? <laughs> I don't have a lot of knowledge of this product, so whatever. Uh -huh. uh, and yes, I'm not a graphically gifted person, so I cannot think of a good visual description of this. So anytime that somebody mentions Comic Sans, I think of this picture that someone sent of, can you make a better font, please? And it was Comic Sans, and then it was Papyrus, and then it was just Papyrus Sans. So it was both of them slapped together. And... Uh, to this day, that's that's what I'll imagine. Mm. So yeah, as I don't know. The only superior font is Wingdings, <laughs> and nothing has ever come close to it. So it's just so clear and easy to read. Yeah, it's like Vim of fonts. Yeah, convenient, fast, Beautiful. easy to remember. Easy to remember. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I have one more thing on my list. What, you, what else do you have? Okay. Um. I, I guess the only list thing on your list is the peripherals. No, I, I missed that. Oh, no. So, okay, that's on my list. Okay. That's the only thing. Yeah, Besides GitLab, that my, that's on my, my list. my vertical mouse. Right wow. Here. Well, mine's like all RGB. Oh. Oh, so you're cooler. Yeah. Of course. It's 
Because you work at a gaming company. It's not very practical because it's too big and it's like at times kind of annoying, but I've gotten used to it now. Yeah, that does actually look fairly large and kind of heavy. Yeah. It was a good deal and it had RGB, so I bought it. Mm. And then I just switched my lifestyle to work around this. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to making the thing work for me. Excellent. Okay. I'm adaptable like that. Yeah, but the reason why that that came up is we both have a vertical mouse and it's real comfy. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that developers, I think, need to do is take care of themselves because if you give yourself really bad wrist pain because all you do is type and sit poorly and you just feel like crap all the time, then uh, it's going to be rough when you get even halfway through what could be your career and typing hurts and you have to use like a fancy mouse with a roller ball just to get through the day so get uh get tools that work for you or figure out how to fit your workflow around them if you can and uh yeah take care of yourself yeah i mean just little adjustments help right like my keyboard is quite ergonomic and nice because it has the little diagonal thing so my hands stay this Mm. way and since i am majorly a keyboard user I don't have to rely on my mouse all that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, although ever since I started using this, as opposed to my other one, um, it has helped because I do sometimes sprain my wrist working out and then I have to use this mouse that's also not helping. And it was just... Uh, the only words I can think of for swear words. It was just not a good thing for my hand. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why that's my default, man. It's Everything's just done. Um but yeah, so little investments like these will they do they do add up. Uh, I don't remember the last time I had like a lot of wrist pain working off a keyboard or mouse for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just all normal pain now, just pain of life. Emotional pain. <laughs> Emotional, physical, just just pain of all sorts. Yeah. Peripherals can't help with so that what's on? a whole lot. Uh, yes. One thing that I would say hasn't felt necessary to me that I know is somewhat popular is some people spend like $200 on a wobble board and I'd say that that's probably not necessary and if you're getting like knee pain from standing too long at your desk uh, if you're not if you're working from home try wearing some sort of shoe so like I just have flip-flops that I have around my apartment so if I'm going to stand for a long time I'll wear those Uh, and getting a mat it's amazing how much better it feels to stand on a mat at a standing desk than you know, just a hard either tile or wood floor. So if you haven't tried it before you, you know, go too far into some weird wobble board or something, just try standing on something soft and it is remarkably better. Uh, and I think your, your knees will appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually recording this without my mat because it's a little farther away and I didn't want to like bother putting it mm. in. And I'm already noticing noticing the dif- distance, difference uh, of, of how painful it is. And I didn't think about my knees until you said it, so thank you. You're welcome. Now now they kind of hurt, so cool. Yeah, I just no seaboed no your knees. Uh, so the last thing on my list is... I have this thing that I'm a big advocate of that we were discussing beforehand and again didn't seem very impressed, but (laughs) I have in my GitHub for a number of years now stored something I just call development environment. 
and it has some dot files configs for, for example, my different Vim configs, or if I was to actually store uh, like VS Code JSON, I think it's in JSON, where you can just configure your VS Code settings. I would put that in there. A list of all my tools that I like to use. And it's just one bash script. So what it allows me to do is when I get a new machine, then I can just get, uh, get pull this one repo and then run the Mac OS setup script. And it will go ahead and download the new version of Git and run through all the commands that like install uh, brew for me and then brew install all the different apps I like, configure VS Code, VS Code and uh, Vim and whatever else I want to use. And it takes about an hour or something like that. But by the time it's done, my development environment is fully built out to exactly how it was on my previous machine. And then what I'll do to maintain it is if I come across a new tool I like or I would like to have, uh, for example, one I added, actually it was probably a long time ago, but I remember adding it, uh, was JQ. I was like, oh, it'd be nice to have just JQ automatically installed. Because I went to use it one time, realized I didn't have it, and went, oh, that's dumb. So then I just go to that repo locally and add a step that installs JQ for me, push it up, and now next time I'm starting up a machine, it will already have JQ and I won't have to install it. So. It's really easy to maintain in that respect, and it's saved me a lot of time with starting up at a company that has uh, Macs. This, the company I work at now uses Linux, and my Linux one was way too far out of date. It hadn't been updated in three years or something. So I didn't really try running it, but uh, hypothetically, if you had multiple operating systems that you had access to, you could maintain it pretty easily. And uh, I recommend it. Yeah, github.com slash nwcalwank. Go, go tell your friends. Go check it out. The repo exists somewhere there. It does, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and for, like, while you were talking about that, it reminded me of, like, really cool tool. So now I'm a Windows user because I work for a corporation that makes everybody use Windows for all their tooling and everything. And... I missed the terminal a lot because before that I was exclusively either using Windows, oh, sorry, Mac or Linux for work. <clears throat> uh, so if you're using Windows now, uh, if, you're, if you don't want to go through the pain of setting up Windows subsystem for Linux, which again, I would 100% recommend, it's great, it really feels like you're using Linux and Windows and for the most part it works pretty excellently. Uh, and you're not a huge fan of PowerShell. Uh, PowerShell is okay. It, I like it because I've done too much scripting in CMD and I did not like that very much. Uh, so a new thing, or not a new thing, the thing that Windows users generally use to get around both of those is something called CMDR. Um, and it's, it's just great. It supports both Windows and Linux commands, so if you switch between the two because of some mental context, it just accepts it. It's like, okay, I know what you were meaning to do. Here's the output. Mm -hmm. And it works quite well, and you can install Chocolatey on Windows, which is just brew uh, for Windows, and it works great. You just do Choco install package name, and it'll go in ahead and install anything you need. And yeah, if one of you wants to go to Nathan's open source repo and add a script for Windows, uh, 
he is very acceptive sure uh i'll just i'm just like saying things on your behalf that i have no idea if you agree with or not so now you do uh and go make pull requests yeah i, I don't have to accept them but <laughs> i'll see them that's true <laughs> honestly that would be the easiest way of getting my attention is through github because i actually get notifications from github which can be annoying every time they're like, your repo that you haven't touched in four years has a dependency that's outdated. I'm like, I don't, I don't care, GitHub. I asked you to stop telling me this, and apparently I, I haven't asked you correctly. Uh, so I'll see the notifications for your PR into my development environment, whether I want to or not. Okay, so if, if Nathan is not responding to your Twitter or any other messages, go open a PR. <laughs> but just says, Nathan, do just, better, and then put your name oh in there. Oh, God, no. I'm going to have so many issues open. It's going to be like eight issues, and they're all just, Nathan, do better. Respond to your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think you've just... Now that you've... No. The internet knows it now, and you can't cut this out of the episode, so... Uh, I'm sorry, but I well, have to do it yeah people have to listen first that's true that's true that, that that's already way outside of my expectations yes so. mine too <laughs> yeah maybe some youtube bot will know and then can skim out your right so actually this reminds me i have to follow up on a couple things from last week so Last week I made the claim or I guess two weeks ago but whatever last week I uh, <laughs> I made the comment that HTML was the best abstraction ever in software development. I thought when I was saying that I added a softener, I thought I'd said was like, or was one of the best or something. I didn't, I just said is the best. And that's a very bold claim. So uh, yeah, don't stand by that. That was not intentional, but I was listening back to the episode while I was editing it. And I skimmed through that part and went, Oh, that's a bit bold. Didn't mean that one. Um, and the other one was I said that there was a Hannah Montana drug party from College Humor, and it was not. It was Hannah Montana drug party by Mad TV. And uh, I wouldn't want, I, re I rewatched the clip, and I wouldn't want College Humor uh, to have that associated with them. So I uh, thought I should clear that up. That was definitely Mad TV. And she described Matthew McConaughey not as a wet foot, but as a dirty sock wrapped around a tide stick. So that that's all the corrections from the last episode that I needed to make. Important distinction to make. I, I wouldn't want you to make these in an apology video. Mm -hmm. So Is there such thing as apology podcasts? Do people do that? It's just for people who are very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and very Canadian, so I guess. We will be, so... Yeah, maybe that can be a thing. We'll Every 10 episodes is just an apology episode. <laughs> <laughs> we go back, we edit every single fact we mentioned wrong. Yeah, I'd like to apologize for the last nine episodes. This is this is all the reasons why. I feel like those will probably go viral and nothing else. Hey, all publicity is publicity. Good publicity. Correct. Oh. <laughs> It's like all publicity <laughs> is publicity. That's, that's true. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it's good or bad, but I think the actual saying is there's no such thing as bad publicity. Correct. Means all publicity is good publicity. Yes, that's what they say. Uh, so I think that's everything on my list 
for workflows. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm done with my list too. I thought with that you were segueing into the last week, like I, do better and all. I that am. Work. I just didn't want to be presumptuous in case I was accidentally uh, cutting off your list. But yes, talking about last week, uh, there's some things I did better, and I've got them written down, which is why I'm looking down. Um, I agreed to do some to learn a song on a guitar, so I learned to play "Mother Lover" by Lonely Island. Uh, that was as per Gian's request, not specifically that song, but he had asked if you listened to last week, he's like, will you learn a Lonely Island song? And well, I'll have to find something that's not just like, you know, bass. And, uh, I thought of Mother Lover and it was not that difficult to learn, but, uh, difficult for me to, uh, sing and play at the same time. Cause I'd never done that and, uh, did that. So you did a great job, by the way, switching between the Justin Timberlake and normal voice. <laughs> and I'd be lying if I didn't say I actually listened to it once during a workout. Oh. Just because I was just, I was like, well, what, what what do I randomly want to listen to? And then I was like, I have this video downloaded on my phone. That's funny. So. It's much, it's, it's better now. That was after one night of learning it, but it's, it's wow. better now. Um, I think we need to put that on a YouTube channel. Just saying. Yeah, I'll just, yeah, just play it on loop. If you want it, request it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I want videos of me singing everything in that song. Uh, I did some more reading in the Structural Computer Organization. What's it called? It's right here. Structured Computer Organization book. So I'm a little bit over a quarter of the way through. Uh, this chunk was really heavy because every paragraph referenced at least one schema. So like, look at figure 3-37 for an example of how this latch works. And I'd look at the figure and look through the latch and be like, yeah, I get it. And the next one's like, building off that D latch, we can make a clock to D latch. Look at this figure. And I'm like, all right, look at that figure, make sure I understand it. And then explains why you do it this way and why you don't do it this other way. And then we have a symbol that represents these in a schema. Here's an example of the symbol. And here's how you can put them all together to make a full memory chip. And I'm like, all right, let me wrap my head around this. So it took a while to get through each chunk, but making progress and used that to finally build my first one bit ALU in Minecraft. And it, it's very large and sprawling, but I actually compared it, like I zoomed out and compared it to my first decoder and it's way smaller than my first decoder. So I've made improvements in my understanding of how to write or build uh, computer hardware in Minecraft. So progress has been made there at least. Um, and that was it. That was my do beggars. Do you have any to report from your end? Yeah. Um, last time I promised that the time before that, I promised to finish this book called the 5am club that I borrowed from the library mm -hmm. and return it. Um, and yeah, the second time reading through it was a little less painful because I knew which parts to skip. Uh, there's so the book is about productivity and all sorts of these different principles and things you can apply to your life to like make your mornings more effective okay. which in turn makes the rest of your day better the problem is he explains all those principles with these characters in a fictional story and if I wanted to read a fiction I would go buy a fictional book I don't need a self-help book to tell me that uh, <laughs> And that part bothered me the first time I read through it because I kept waiting for the part when it becomes a productivity book. And it's like, it's sprinkled a little bit throughout, like the first 80%. And 
and the last 20 percent is just like by the way these are all the principles it's <laughs> like oh my god why would you do this to me wow. uh, so yeah here's what i wouldn't recommend if that's how you feel about self-help books definitely don't read the 48 laws of power okay. because i tried to make it through that book and realized i was on like law eight and didn't remember any of the first seven because there was way too much narration and story built in where it's just like here's a historical figure that represented this law and they they tell like 14 stories about an emperor and how he did these different things and then suddenly i'm halfway through the next um law and i don't remember what the last one was so yeah. Mm, okay, I will not read that. I know I was writing a book review for this for the Do Better Club blog, and I got angry halfway through remembering how much I hate those things, and I stopped writing it. Uh, so I need to go back and actually finish that article to publish it. But, but yeah, so I finally finished that book, returned it. Uh, I just wanted to reread it before I write that article because I've been doing some writing on like making like waking up and meditation and morning mm -hmm. things. And I recommended that book in one of my previous blogs, which I still do for the principles of it. But man, the one of the characters calls whenever he introduces or comes to these people, he's like, hey, cats, how you doing? It's like nobody talks like that. Nobody. Um, so, so that yeah, means I shouldn't keep doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Not in public. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, that that's just um, that I returned that and finished that. That was my uh, do better promise to myself. So I ended up doing that. Cool. So mine for this week is one that I'm sure a lot of people won't think makes a lot of sense. But if you know me at all, it makes a lot of sense, which is my aim for doing better this week is taking three days off from the gym. So I did that this morning. Didn't go to the gym today. I'm not going to go to the gym tomorrow or Friday. And then I'll be back in on Saturday. And the reason being is I don't think I've taken a day off in the last three weeks. And I've taken one day off in the last like five or six weeks. And that's just because uh, there's not a lot going on right now. And it's one of my favorite parts of the day. So I'm just each day I'm like, wake up, go to the gym, go do my work all day. And then look forward to the morning when I get to go to the gym again. It's like, all right, well, I noticed when I was sleeping more poorly and my lifts were going down. I'm like, you're way in need of a rest day. So, uh, yeah, taking some time off for a few days and then rewarding myself with a nice session on Saturday. That's the plan. Mm. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Not working out seems like just a gift for most people. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I was saying like it's not everybody's coping strategy for life, <laughs> uh, but it's kind of mine at this moment. It hasn't been since university, but right now it kind of feels like it. Okay, so by Saturday you won't have a beer belly and dad bod and everything. No, that's okay. actually a related thing. My weight gain for the winter has been going well. So I'm going to keep trying to do better on that and not slip into thinking like, oh, you're trying to gain weight. Let's gain a bunch of weight. Uh, mm. I've gained like six pounds in three months or so, which is about what I'm wanting. So trying to get up to another 
three or four, no, about another three pounds uh, before the end of February. And we'll see how that works out and if I can maintain it for a bit. It's, uh, it worked well last year. So I'm gonna try to try to push it up a couple pounds further this year. Was it requested on your OnlyFans? Uh, well, yeah, they're not, they're, they have mixed feelings. They're like, we can subscribe for a fatty. Uh, what are you doing? You're destroying your body. But they'll understand, uh, you know, if they can't handle me in my bulk, they can't deal with me in my shred. OnlyFans.com slash NW. That's not a real thing. <laughs> and if it is, yes. it's definitely yeah. not me. <laughs> it's just somebody using uh, one of those face things where you can put somebody else's deep fake? face on. Deep fake, yeah. Oh, that'd be that'd be awful. Um, my I, mine actually is uh, I I've been contemplating it, and I'll find out the answer to it tomorrow. I'm just letting myself sleep on it tonight. But I took a I I was sick a little bit last week, so this weekend I took a little vacation, and I went to Alberta with a few friends. And once I got back from it yesterday, I was in a complete vacation mode. And so I thought I'll make the rest of this week just absolutely vacation, do nothing, play video games, because during Christmas I'm planning to work. And I figured I'd just play video games, I don't know, lay around, order pizza, live my life. Um, although today it hit me that I have done nothing productive the week before because I was sick and I had a friend and everything and... So I should be productive this week and just continue on that train. And I haven't decided which one I'm going to pick. So we'll find out tomorrow and possibly on next week on this episode if I decided to be super productive and finished all the blog posts and did better with my life or relaxed and did better about my life. You do better is you're just going to be alive tomorrow. You're like, <laughs> regardless of what up. I decide to do, I'm going to do better. <laughs> exactly. So at least... Because I, I don't want to either just commit to working a lot and then come constantly regret being like, oh man, I wish my vacation lasted more. Because mm -hmm. I'm one of those people, if you're enjoying, you're enjoying on purpose, you're not feeling bad about not working or anything, you, you committed to this and you're giving yourself a break. But I feel like I gave myself a break last week, but I was also sick, so I wasn't sure if that break counted. Mm. So I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and just either be super productive or I'm just going to feel lethargic and be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to continue this break and commit to it uh, until the weekend. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes being alive is the best you can do, Nathan. Wow. <laughs> just strong words. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Considering the, the pre-show discussion, that's not the darkest thing that was said today. <laughs> Good thing we didn't record. Oh, man, that would have made a great soundbite. So. The Dunbeggar Club? <laughs> Dunn Nobody needs Club. to know about the Dunbeggar Club. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, pay us a $5 subscription fee monthly and we'll tell you about it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, yeah, I don't know about that. Podcast yeah, support. So it's our new business model. Yeah, cast and peepers. Yeah, just after yeah, after you you learn about this new club and part of this club is Nathan's OnlyFans. So just really <laughs> only haters, new business idea. 
only here to die. Mm, dot IO. Dot IO. Yeah. But yeah, the I, anything else to add? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, no, no, I don't have anything else to add. Uh, this pretty much covered everything I was looking for. I know what I'm supposed to do better, which is do less uh, for the next couple days. And um, yeah, I'll probably just keep trying to read structured computer organization. That sounds like a plan. Uh, yeah, thanks everyone, everybody who came to the show. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm just talking to the air right now, but if you are listening and you're a real person, I very much value you and your time. And yeah, come come check us out on the blogs, the websites, and anything slash NWCalvang. Tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. Okay.